Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow can make it better. Do you really think we can? Well, welcome, welcome, welcome back, everyone, to The Catch at Blog Talk Radio. Um, we've been having some really interesting discussions lately about things like revolution and about the founding fathers and about Jesus and John Wayne, um, a lot of it having to do, too, with looking at the Christian subculture that has grown up here in America. And uh, today is going to be, a, uh, tonight, a wonderful uh, interview into that. We're going to delve into that area with uh, our guest, who is not new to the catch. We've had him numerous times. Uh, Randall Balmer is the John Phillips Professor uh, in Religion at Dartmouth College. He is the author of more than a dozen books, including Evangelicalism in America, Redeemer, The Life of Jimmy Carter, and Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory, A Journey into the Evangelical Subculture in America, which is now in its fifth edition and has been made into an award-winning three-part series for PBS. So uh, Randall is going to be talking, we're going to be talking specifically about his latest book called Bad Faith, Race and the Rise of the Religious Right. Doesn't that sound interesting? Please welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Randall Palmer. Welcome, Randall, back. Hey, happy to be here, John. I'm just a little disappointed that uh, Sherry was not your bump here to get us into this program. I remember those days very well. Very maybe. You and I go you and I go back a long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you remember where you were when you when you heard me sing Sherry Baby? Oh, uh, no. I bet you don't. No, that's that, Yeah. No, I don't. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that was my <laughs> That was my go-to song if if I was felt like I was losing my audience. I I would Yeah. Yeah. I I would set it worked. Up, yeah, it did. And, and, and you, 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 you talked about in the context of how meaningful and deep right, uh, secular right. music was. Right. I always set it up really big. Yeah. I, I could almost hear people groaning, you know, in the audience. And then yeah. they were always set free when they heard me sing Break Out into Sherry Baby, Won't You Come Out Tonight. So, okay. <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about your book, uh, Bad Faith, Randall. So um, tell, tell us, what, what motivated you to write this book, uh, Bad Faith, Race, and the Rise of the Religious Right? Well, as you know, John, I grew up in um, this, uh, the Christian world, the evangelical subculture, as I call it. 
And particularly in the 1970s, I was a student at, uh, as an undergraduate at Trinity College. I, I didn't go to Wheaton like you did. I was for the rich, rich guys. I, I, I couldn't, my family couldn't afford it. <laughs> um, and then I stayed on and, and worked at the uh, Trinity Divinity School in the, Divinity, in the uh, uh, development department. But also I did a, a master's degree then as well. So uh, the point is that I spent my entire 1970s or almost all of the 1970s at, uh, in, in this evangelical world. And then going off uh, to graduate school in 1980 and then trying to deal with the emergence of the religious right, I kept hearing that abortion was the issue that got evangelicals interested in politics in the 1970s. And it just, it always kind of puzzled me because I don't remember anybody talking about abortion or virtually nobody in the 1970s. We, we thought of it as a Catholic issue. And then fast forward in November of 1990, I was invited to Washington, D.C. in a very small group to uh, the, the, the occasion ostensibly was uh, to mark the 10-year anniversary of Ronald Reagan's election to the presidency in uh, November of 1980. And I found myself in a small room with people like Carl F.H. Henry, who was the founding editor of Christianity Today mm -hmm. magazine, uh, Donald Wildman, who was the founder of the American Family Association, uh, Ralph Reed, executive director of Christian Coalition, Ed Dobson, mm -hmm. who had been uh, Jerry Falwell's lieutenant at Moral Majority, and uh, uh, Richard Vigory, the kind of the direct mail guru for conservative causes, and Paul Weirich, who was really the architect of the, the religious right. And in the first session, and this is a, a conference that lasted over a couple of days, first session, Paul Weirich, uh, you know, the, the person who brought all this, the, the religious right together, uh, was made an impassioned statement. He said, let's remember this movement had nothing to do with abortion in its early years. Uh, what got us together, what got us moving as a as a political uh, force, was opposition to the attempt on the part of the Internal Revenue Service to withhold the tax exempt status of segregation academies and places like Bob Jones University because of their racial <laughs> racial policy, policies. And he was just, you know, he he was impassioned about this, and so at the break, right after. <laughs> well, he was just, uh, you know, he was just matter of fact about it. You know, he said, look, yeah. you know, abortion was not what got us together. It was it was defense of, of racial segregation. And wow. so th th there was a break right after that that session. And I went over to him and I said, I want to make sure I heard you correctly on this. He said, absolutely. He says, I've been trying since the Goldwater campaign in 1964 to get evangelicals interested in politics. I couldn't get them get to care. I tried hmm. the school prayer issue. I tried the pornography hmm. issue. I tried abortion. I tried uh, uh, equal rights for women. Nothing got them interested in political activity until the the issue with the Bob Jones University and defending wow. racial segregation. And so that's what I guess uh, John's long answered a question, but that's hmm. what got me interested in this topic. And I've spent uh, more years than I care to tally trying to run this down and, and to essentially to, to affirm what he told me all those years ago. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this was a Catholic issue in the 1970s. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until really on the eve of the 1980 election that evangelicals got interested in abortion. You know, uh, 
I'm certainly one of those who, who thought it was abortion for the longest time. And uh, uh, I thought I was yep. pretty brilliant for seeing that actually for a while. <laughs> um, and because I, you know, I picked it up on a lot of Christian radio and trying to figure out what on earth is going on. Why are people so upset? And yeah. they would seem to be really getting emotional about this issue. And I had to realize, you know, saving babies is a, is a, pretty strong thing once you get started in into that and sure. uh sure uh you know but uh you know to read your book was really uh, enlightening and um i i just wonder what how did that racism initially uh, manifest itself you've answered that a little bit but maybe uh, maybe you could address that a little bit more and then how, how did how did we miss this I'd really like to hear yeah. thoughts on yeah, that. It's, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a, the second part of the question is, is really good, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> but, yeah, it, 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 um, it, well, let me, let, let me go back a little bit more, John, and say, uh, it, just give a little bit of the evidence for, for what I'm saying here. First of all, in 1968, there was a conference that was conducted by Christianity Today magazine, which, as you know, and mm-hmm. both you and I have written for that magazine, Christianity Today magazine is the flagship magazine for evangelicalism. And Christianity sponsored this uh, conference with another evangelical group called the Christian Medical Society to discuss the morality surrounding abortion. And these are the, you know, these are the heavyweight theologians of the evangelical world who got together. And after several days, they issued a statement saying, well, we really can't decide whether or not abortion is morally wrong but well, we think it probably should be uh, legal. And uh, two successive mm. editors of Christianity Today magazine, Carl F. H. Henry, who I mentioned earlier, and Harold Lindsell, issued similar statements. James Dobson, believe it or not, James Dobson also issued a statement in 1973, the year of the Roe v. Wade ruling, saying that, um, you know, a, a fetus is not a human being and uh, we we shouldn't accord it those sorts of considerations. Mm. Mm. In 1971, the Southern Baptist Convention, not exactly known for its liberalism, passed a resolution calling for the legalization of abortion, which they wow. reaffirmed in 1974, the year after the Roe ruling, and again in 1976. And wow. finally, you know, I'll, I I could go on, and, and the book really does try to. You know, to, to present all this evidence, uh, Jerry Falwell, by his own admission, did not preach his first anti-abortion sermon until February of 1978. That's more than five years after the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. So, uh, so that it's mm. this is what I call the abortion myth. The abortion myth is the fiction that evangelicals mobilized as a political movement in response to the Roe v. Wade ruling of 1973. And it's simply not true. It's, 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 it's a fabrication. And, uh, you know, why is this important? I think what I try to argue and the, the image I use in the book is that you can have this beautiful building. You can construct this gorgeous building with filigrees and all sorts of wonderful architectural appointments. But if the foundation is rotten, if it's resting on rotten timbers, then the entire structure, I think, is compromised. And I think we have to come to terms with the fact that this is a political movement that has its roots 
in the defense of racism. Hmm. How does that, uh, did it show itself uh, at all, Randall, or, you know, how, how did we miss this? Well, I think, uh, and, and this is one of the things that, that really came, became clear to me as I was doing the research for this book. Uh, I'd always puzzled by why it was that evangelicals gravitated to Ronald Reagan in 1980. Here you have a divorced and remarried former Hollywood actor, not exactly known, Hollywood's not exactly known as the, you know, a, a, a province of piety. <laughs> yeah who, as governor of California in 1967, signed into law the most liberal abortion bill in the country. Why did evangelicals choose Reagan over a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher, an avowed born-again Christian, who sought to govern according to uh, biblical principles? And, you know, that's a longer conversation. I'm happy to get into that at some point. Now, I understand, you know, there are a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of stuff going on in the late 1970s in terms of inflation and, you know, the Soviet invasion into Afghanistan and so forth. But nevertheless, you know, think about that for a moment. Why would evangelicals choose Reagan over Carter in Mm -hmm. 1980? Well, I began to look more into Reagan. And let's consider the fact that Reagan got his start in politics in opposition to the Rumford Fair Housing Act in California in 1964, which sought to guarantee desegregation in housing, both rental and purchase of, of, of property in California. He was mm. an outspoken opponent of both the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Throughout his campaigns, uh, his various campaigns, he invoked the racially fraught term law and order. And he's also responsible for perpetrating this vile caricature of so-called welfare queens, women of color who were supposedly living the high life off of the public subsidy. He was never able to produce one of these so-called welfare queens, but that didn't Mm. stop him from doing that. And Mm. for me, I think uh, in many ways, all you need to know is that Ronald Reagan opened his general election campaign for the presidency in 1980 in of all places of all places he could have launched his campaign at the Neshoba County Fair in Philadelphia, Mississippi, the place Mm. where 16 summers earlier members of the Ku Klux Klan abducted, tortured and killed three civil rights workers. And lest anybody miss his meeting, Ronald Reagan, the master of symbolism, talked about states' rights, the traditional segregationist rallying cry used by George Wallace and all of these other segregationists over the years. Uh, So if you put that together, that is the evangelical embrace of Ronald Reagan in 1980 with the fact that this is a political movement that started in defense of racial segregation. Suddenly things begin to make some sense. And that's Mm. what I came across in doing research for this book. So now there's no doubt that abortion has played 
a huge role. Oh yes. In in yes. in the religious right. Did it? So did it at some point take over uh, from from the racism issue? It did. It, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it did. I, I think it did. Um, uh, and what happened was, you know, this Paul Weirich that I mentioned, uh, he, he's really the the uh, the genius behind the the religious right. I, he was savvy enough to recognize that if he was going to mobilize grassroots evangelicals, he needed an issue other than a defense of racial segregation. And so uh, what happened was, in the midterm elections in 1978, he kind of stumbled on this issue. He uh, uh, he actually went to the head of the Republican National Con- Committee in, in advance of the 1978 midterm elections and said, I want some money to try to mobilize evangelical voters. And the head of the RNC, who was uh, Bill Brock, a former senator from Tennessee, looked at him and said, who are these people? I don't want, I'm not going to give you any of this money. And uh, Weirich then determined to go out and elect some improbable people to the U.S. Senate in 1978. He did so. He focused on four Senate races, one in New Hampshire, one in Iowa, where Dick Clark was running for re-election, an enormously popular Democratic senator, and two Senate races in Minnesota, one of them for the unexpired term of Walter Mondale, who was, of course, Carter's vice president. And what happened is that on the final Sunday of that campaign, before the midterm elections in 1978, pro-lifers, Roman Catholics, leafleted church parking lots. And two days later, in an election with a very low turnout, all four of the favored Democratic candidates for Senate lost to anti-abortion Republicans. And Paul Weirich, and I, had, I went through his papers, which are out in the uh, University of Wyoming. Uh, Paul Weirich said, uh, in effect, I've got my issue. This is the issue that's going to work for me. So he was able to deflect the attention wow. away from racism to abortion. And by the, times of, uh, by, the, by the time of the 1980 election, uh, abortion was, was the issue that uh, was starting to take hold with the evangelical voters. Now, what happened uh, right after the midterm elections in 78 is that Frank Schaefer begins touring the com- uh, country with yeah. his film series uh, that uh, featured his father, Francis Schaefer, right. who in many ways mm-hmm. was the godfather of the religious right, and uh, uh, pa- pediatric surgeon from Philadelphia, C. Everett Koop. And right. as those film series, those films began to circulate the country, then evangelicals began to tune in to the abortion issue. But uh, abortion, again, had nothing to do with hmm. the um, the mobilization of, of evangelical voters in the 1970s. Um, what, where, where are we at now? What's what's happened to is racism still a big deal? For evangelicals, and I, I'm afraid it, I'm afraid it is, and I don't I I, I don't in, in saying that I don't I, I don't want to say that that all evangelicals are racist or all evangelicals who vote for uh, Ronald Reagan or or Donald Trump are racist. I don't believe that's the case, but there I don't think there's any question that race is part of the appeal that these. Uh, Republican presidential candidates are making 
in the course of their campaigns uh, for yeah. uh, their, their quest for evangelical voters. Uh, I, yeah. I think there's a rather direct line, frankly, between Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I suppose some people can contest that uh, Donald Trump is, is racist, uh, but I think he can have a pretty tough argument to make. I mean, uh, this is a man who, who yeah. um, burst onto the national scene by questioning the uh, citizenship uh, of uh, America's first African-American president. And, uh, you know, I, I, you got to, you got to come to terms with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought there. Um because I had a wonderful question. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering um, what, what's the future for the religious right? Where, you know, is this, will this keep on going? Um, or yeah. are we going to see this fade away at some point? Well, you know, I think a lot of people have been predicting the demise of the religious right over the last 40 years, and uh, mm-hmm. it's still with us. I mean, you have uh, 81% of white evangelical voters supporting Donald Trump in 2016, and uh, I think the number was something like 78% in 2020. So even with all the revelations about this person, uh, you know, they're sticking with him. And, you know, let's remember, I mean, I, I have to say, I... I you know, as a person of faith and uh, as an evangelical, I have some trouble with this. I mean, one of the things that my 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 father and my parents and my father was an evangelical free church minister for 40 years. Uh, I grew up in this world. I understand it. And it's it's uh, part of my DNA. But one of the things I was always told was uh, the importance of telling the truth. And here you have a man who over the course of his four-year presidency, according to independent sources, uh, made over 30,000, 30,000 <laughs> false or misleading statements. I mean, what happened to this yeah. notion about bearing false witness? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I just don't understand it. So yeah. I, you know, uh, I, I think, to be honest, I think repentance is in order, <laughs> and uh, I, I think evangelicals need to to come to terms with the, their political choices over the last well forty years. Do you think, Randall, that there's an there's an overall sense of uh, maybe among among white, especially white uh, American males, maybe older ones like boomers and and such uh that we're we're losing our control we're losing you sure. know oh, yes. what america was always supposed to be and uh yes. now there's you know there's there's blacks there's mexicans there's asians there's all this influx of people which is of course what we're supposed to be in terms of what America is, but these right. are people who know they want to hang on to this last glimmer of, uh, you know, white America that uh, is probably going to go down eventually. <laughs> I think you're, you're absolutely right. 
that 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 that's a big part of it. But you know, uh, then we have to kind of come to terms with what what the Bible says and and yeah. you know the, uh, what Jesus says. I mean, uh, the the notion of welcoming the stranger. <laughs> is not only part of the Hebrew Bible, but Jesus talks about it as well. Uh, Caring for the least of these is something that Jesus told us to do. In fact, not only did Jesus tell us to do this, he said that would be the criterion by which we enter or not the kingdom of heaven. Uh, You know, he's pretty clear about that. And somehow I think a lot of uh, evangelicals managed to bracket uh, Matthew 25 out of the Bible. And... uh, yeah, well, that's that's too bad. Yeah, you know, I've 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 really uh, hurt about watching this this incredible politicalization of Christianity in America. And my my greatest concern is what is what has happened to the gospel as a result. And yes. I, I yeah. just wrote this down when I was thinking of questions for you today. I want to know what you think about this statement that that in here in America m- m- there are more Christians concerned about what Christians can accomplish through government than what we can accomplish by being ambassadors of reconciliation to the world yeah. with the message of Christ. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I I think I think that's right. And and that's a change and you know, I, you probably remember this too, John, but, you know, when, when I was growing up, evangelicals were politically apathetic. I mean, they were not organized in any sort of way. And, you know, I remember yeah. in my in, in college years kind of advocating for for, for some sort of uh, uh, political awakening. I, and mm-hmm. I, I'll say this in all honesty, I had no idea that evangelicals would, mm-hmm. would do so and, and, and then uh, – uh, uh, stampede to the right of the political spectrum. And I say this as a historian because I look at the 19th century and the way evangelicals acted politically. They were, by any, any honest reckoning, by today's standards, they would line up on the left of the political spectrum. They were very much supporting mm. issues like prison reform, public education, because that was a way for those on the lower rungs of society to become upwardly mobile. They were uh, unquestionably in support of women's equality, including voting rights in the 19th century, which was considered a radical notion. Uh, They were uh, against slavery. Uh, They were, you know, Jesus talks about caring for the least of these. That was the, how you would characterize the political agenda of uh, 19th century evangelicals. And so, when evangelicals did become politically active in the late 1970s, in my judgment, they uh, they ran to the uh, to the wrong end of the political spectrum. Yeah. Wow. Well, look, we what do we do now? I mean, how how can we? How can I feel like we need to reset somehow? You know what I mean? The the, the, yes, whole, the whole Christian thing, you know. But I don't know that it's going to happen in the subculture. It may not even happen in the church. Um, so do we, do we have to encourage people individually to wrestle with these things and, 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 uh, keep preaching the gospel? 
Well, I think we always have to preach the gospel, and yeah. that's what Jesus asked right. us to do. And uh, right. the, the, the gospel is is good news about liberation, and that's uh, that's what we need to be preaching. Um, I, I think you know, I, I, to, to put it in and put it bluntly, I think we need new leadership. Uh, the, mm. the present leadership has has failed us. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll be willing to name names: Jerry Falwell mm. Jr., Franklin Graham, uh, mm. Tony Perkins. Uh, you know, these people have utterly failed, I think, to to lead us in, in the proper direction. And I think it's time that we, we look to new leadership that uh, that understands both the New Testament, but also, I would argue, and that's what I try to argue in the book, uh, would understand the uh, the history of our own movement and uh, the, the really uh, quite noble tendencies, noble impulses that yeah. uh, characterize evangelicals in the previous age. So finally in our last couple minutes, Randall, what would you what would you say to us as individual followers of Christ? You know, as we said earlier, I think we need to preach the gospel. And I think we have to wrestle with the difficulties of maintaining our witness in a multicultural society. Uh, I'm not somebody who uh, laments multiculturalism. I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think it's, uh, it reflects, you know, as uh, the Sunday school song you and I sang when we were growing up, red and yellow, black and white, yeah. all their presses yeah. in God's sight. And uh, we need to reckon with how that works and, and how we, how we live that on a day-to-day basis. We also need to reckon with the fact that uh, this is a multicultural society. This is a society where uh, the First Amendment, frankly, has been the best friend that uh, people of faith have ever had uh, because it uh, allowed for competition in this religious marketplace. And to uh, subvert that or try to uh, engineer policies to the advantage of one religious group or another, I think is ultimately self-defeating. And we have mm. to come to terms with that, I think, as well. Yeah. One last question. Uh, what, what would you like your book uh, to accomplish? What would make you feel? Well, I, 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 hope, I hope that, uh, that evangelicals read it and kind of take uh, stock of themselves and take stock of, uh, of their, their movement. Uh, the first part of the book is... Um, Dealing mm-hmm. with the history of the movement, I try to do it in a kind of uh, uh, um, mm-hmm. brisk way, so it's not uh, you know you don't get mired down it with it. And as you know, it's a short book to begin with. And yeah. I'd like to to have uh, evangelicals uh, take a sober assessment of where they are and uh, where they've been and where they could go in the in the future. I think uh, uh, the redemptive possibilities of, of this movement, I think, are great. But yeah. um, I, right now, I think we're on the wrong course, course frankly, and yeah. uh, we need to uh, change course. Yeah, well, history is not a popular subject uh, right now, <laughs> it, right? It, it's a, We just grab on to things too quickly. And um, where we do. I, yeah. I, I was right. trying thankful for people like you and, and uh, McKenzie and others, and who who can dig into this stuff and help to show us uh, 
where we're coming from and and maybe make us have second thoughts about uh, well, about our belief systems. I, yeah, I, I I hope that happens. <laughs> I, hope that happens. <laughs> I do too. Randall, thank you so much for being my guest as always. And uh, I know this won't be the last time, but uh, I hope I, so. <laughs> well, and and uh, um. I hope everything goes good with your move, <laughs> and uh, that'll be great. Um, Thank you, John. Okay. It's been a pleasure, right. as always. Right. Wonderful. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, there you go, folks. Um, yeah. There's some deep things to think about. You're listening to the How do we get? John. Fisher, Where we are. Talk Radio, connecting life. To- How do these things happen? It's important. Because we need to know how to act and how to bring the gospel to this generation. We need, we need some new blood there, some new thinking, and uh, new walking in that direction. So God bless. Come back next week. Uh, Take care, and uh, thank you once again to uh, uh, Randall. Remember, Bad Faith, Race, and the Rise of the Religious Right, it is a little book. It will not take you long. It's only 113 pages. Um, You can probably read it in 45 minutes, and it will give you some background. So I encourage all of you to do that. God bless you. We'll see you next week.